The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.
danger was believed to come and stir up the water intermittently in this pool. And the, the first person who then entered that pool of, of water would be healed. We don't say, if you've got an ESV, I mean, the standard version of the note that says, you don't actually have those verses in the main text, but there is a footnote. And uh, that's what we put there. And as I said, the, uh, the most uh, older, the, the older manuscripts don't actually contain this, but some of the later ones do. It's here at this pool in Jerusalem where these millions of people are as gathered and are desperately seeking this cure for suffering that we, uh, you know, we see that they're putting their hope very much in this, this one particular act that is the waters are sort of stirred up and we believe it's probably stirred by an afternoon spring but there's an upwelling of water came, the water was stirred, the superstition of the people believed it was the angel that was doing this and then if they could be first into the water then they could be healed and they could be made well again. Anyone with any kind of long standing illness, something which is, you, you, you've had for, for so many years that, uh, that continues to be a, a hindrance to you enjoying life, that continues to be this, this, this cloud, this dark, heavy cloud that hangs over you in your life that prevents you from doing lots of different things. You know, anyone who has that kind of illness knows. You know, the, the, the desperate sort of length they, 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 they were hoping had that illness that completely cured so they could have their lives restored. This was the case with these people, and they just were putting their hope in the water. It's interesting, isn't it, that as we, we read the multitudes that were gathered there, the blind. Who was the blind to know when the water was stirred up? We hear that it was the lame and the paralyzed. How on earth were those to get into the water first before others got into the water before them? It's a hopeless and desperate situation. One filled with, with absolute and utter disappointment day after day after day for these people who, you know, when the water stirred, they just, they just had no hope of getting in that water first. And yet they still And it was into this setting that Jesus stepped. And I want to concentrate on, on four particular things that we, we, that we see in this passage before us this morning as Jesus steps into this situation. The first is simply to repent. And John tells us that, that one particular man was present that day, a man who had been invalid for 30 this is probably the vast majority of his life. He may have even been born with this. And for all of his, his life, he has been at the, the mercy of those around about him. And in his mind, his only hope for a cure was to be found in that very water. Wonder what was what was going through his mind on that particular day when he was brought to the pool, wondering whether or not this may be the day, or wondering whether or not here I am again, but nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Little did he realise that his life was about to be changed dramatically, because in verse six. 
and many others even outside from that particular job. Traditionally, it's just another place in the church. But the time is actually used to the church to He had nothing to commend him in any way, shape, or form. There was nothing, nothing in his appearance that made him stand out. And he was destroyed by blind and lame and parallel. He had nothing of any significance to offer. He was a nobody. He was an outcast. And yet, Not only did Jesus see him, Jesus also knew this man. He knew him. Jesus knew that he had been there for a long time. Says there in, uh, in verse in verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. Jesus not only saw this man, he knew this man. He knew him and he knew his situation. It reminds us that every single person, every single person has been created by God and is known by God and is seen by God and is loved by God. Psalm 34, verse 16, reminds us the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Right now, you might be feeling just like this particular man. Anonymous when it comes to the people around about you. Just another face in a sea of faces. Suffering silently. Feeling in some way that life keeps throwing up to you challenge after challenge after challenge. Situations seem to you to be hopeless. Lost. But there is no light at the end of a, a very long tunnel of darkness and despair. My prayer this morning is that we might bring you some kind of comfort today to know that God sees you. And God knows you. And this is the truth. Better than anyone could ever, could ever could. God knows. He knows your frustration. He knows your fear. He knows your disappointment. He knows your pain. What he also knows is your very deep need for him. God's heart is moved by our suffering. Psalm 145, verse 9. That the Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. God's mercy is over all that He has made. That mercy comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. If you haven't said that, though, you know, it's what. Jesus wouldn't be much of a savior, would he, if all he could do 
which actually emphasize or sympathize with us in our suffering. It really could do nothing to change it. could do nothing to help us. The mercy of Jesus is so important. But that mercy of Jesus is also coupled with the power of Jesus. In this passage, Jesus asks the man, do you want to be healed? been in this situation for, for so long. A man who has lost his, his desperation and disappointment and hopelessness. In fact, in, in answering this particular question, the man can actually only point to the hopelessness of his situation. He says to Jesus, in the Lord's heart, he says, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is full. All he has is excuses as to why he is unable to be healed. But then Jesus speaks those life-changing and transforming words into this man's life, and he says, "Get up, take up your bed, and walk." And we're told at once this man is healed. Now, having been paralyzed for such a long time, this man's muscles and his legs, the, the whole, probably the, the lower part of his body, all the muscles would have atrophied. His joints and his bones would have been weak and unstable. Now, my, my elderly dad, he, uh, he just recently had an operation to repair a broken leg, and you know, he's been bedridden for several weeks, and, and although now he's been given the opportunity to get up and start moving around, he's got to undergo extensive physio in order to be able to walk properly again, to be able to stand. So when Jesus speaks these life-transforming words into this man, it's like he said, get up, take up your bed and heal, all of a sudden, muscles are made strong, joints and, and limbs are made strong, and this man stands up immediately. There is a complete and utter healing instantaneously. And this man is, is, is so strong, he can pick up his, his bed and walk away. It's an astounding miracle of Jesus. He's a powerful God for whom nothing is impossible. Do we believe that? Because both we need to be praying accordingly, expecting God to do great things, praying in faith. Expecting God to do the miracle. I've got to admit, folks, that this is one of the biggest struggles that I know I have with prayer. That I know in my head that God, you know, that nothing is impossible for God. But so often I just I don't believe in my heart. And so I pray in a way that kind of lets God off the hook, so to speak. And say, God, I know that you can change lives, but although I don't speak these words, I'm saying in my mind, I don't expect you to work out even if you want to work out. And so, Lord, if you don't, then I'm going to trust you that you're going to have to your word. In, in some ways, that is the right way to pray because it's not up to us to tell God how to work. 
precisely with, 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 with children of, 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 of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one who is in David's right, he reigns in majesty and splendor over all of creation. And he's the God of the miraculous. He's a powerful God. And we need to expect God to work in powerful ways. And we need to be praying that God will work in powerful ways. So we need to be in the light of God doing the best. So this miracle in John 5 is meant to make us see that not, not just the change in this man's physical condition, it's a point for all of those who witness it to, 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 to see the one who himself is doing the miracle, Jesus Christ. To reveal to us the identity of the one who acts in such power. You know, so, for the people back in those days, the Jews back in those days, they knew their Old Testament really, really well. And they would have known passages like Isaiah 35, verses 5 to 6. Isaiah 35, 5 to 6, where it says that you know, people were, were expecting when God's Messiah would come, this would be one of the evidences that he, that he had arrived. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. They, the people of, of, in, in Jesus' day knew that when the Messiah comes, these would be evidences that he was in their very midst. The people would be healed in many, in mirac- many miraculous ways. Reminiscent of the creation account where God speaks and his powerful word brings into, into existence all living things, all life, all the universe. This is the term that Jesus uses here, but it's a term that's translated in our Bible, get up. It's a term that, that comes from a, a particular root uh, word in the, in, the, in the Greek language, and it's, it's also used later on to speak of the, the, uh, the coming to life of people at the final resurrection. The same Jesus will refer to it in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Where it says, you know, on the last day when all who hear the voice of Christ will come out of You know, so this miracle of this man whose who's legs are healed, his body is healed, it's a, it anticipates this, this glorious future. This is what the, the sign was pointing to. Remember, we're looking at the sign miracles in John. Not just for the signs themselves, but to see the one behind the signs and to see what it points to. And this same Jesus who we read about in these words and scriptures, the same Jesus who lives today, who is, who is seated at the right hand of God, interceding on behalf of his people, you and me. Away, a picture of all fallen humanity. Reminds us that our skin has left us broken, useless, 
we tend to do anything for ourselves to find healing and wholeness in our lives. Reminds us that we have no good thing within us that would, that would merit divine favor, that would merit the favor of God towards us. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to move towards us, to speak His powerful, life-giving words into our lives, the message of the gospel, that message that restores and enables us to rejoice in Him and walk in His way. wonderful work of Jesus in our lives. The, the fact that you have come to know Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, is indeed a miraculous work of God. No less miraculous than Jesus actually healing this man of his soul. Surely this should cause us to worship him. Incapable of doing anything to challenge their circumstances. This particular person was from another culture and belief system. And you would think they were firmly entrenched in that. But yet, if this person, you know, had, had seen, you know, Jesus in, in the life of, of, of this Christian believer, this, this wonderful Christian believer, as they'd seen, Jesus in this person as they witness to the love and the compassion and the mercy of Jesus just through loving actions on the part of this person and through hearing their testimony of Jesus because this person would just speak about Jesus and how wonderful and glorious he is. This person, you know, through that had, had started to explore Jesus for themselves. And as a consequence, this person was miraculously convicted in their heart that Jesus was indeed the true Savior of the world, their Savior, their Redeemer, their Lord, their hope. And this person became a living spirit in life. They were given an unspeakable joy, a worshiping heart, a praising tongue, a wonderful hope, a glorious We ourselves are just people who we, we just make ourselves available for God to use in whatever way, shape, or form that He chooses to do that. As we just speak of Jesus to those around about us, we don't have to have the gospel down pat. We don't have to have all this 
you know, all this evangelical training and evangelistic training and stuff behind us. All we need to do is open our mouths and just tell people just how good Jesus is, the difference that he's made in your life, your story of how Jesus has worked in your life. That's all we need, folks. That's all we need. And as we speak, as, as we live that out and as we speak the Word of God to people, the Word of God works in these people's hearts and changes and transforms them. It's like Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God on the salvation for all who believe. There is power in the Word of God. There is life in the Word of God. There is healing and restoration in the Word of God, the living Word of God. It is revealed to us in the written Word of God. So sadly, the man who Jesus miraculously and wonderfully healed, he just doesn't realize who Jesus is. The sad thing here is that there is no hint in this passage whatsoever that this man ever acknowledges Jesus as Savior Lord. One commentator says, this man represents the great mass of our race who do not acknowledge or worship God and yet he daily receives his benefits of health and strength, his providential ordering of the universe, the protection offered by the order of society as God places over us governors and cities. Not to mention his daily restraining of the full potential of evil in the world and the full effect of the fall in a person's personal life, as well as the patience God restrains in delaying his just and righteous judgment, giving people an opportunity to repent. People go up on a living for all that God's grace has for us. Having heard Jesus and experienced his healing, this man gets up, he picks up his mat, he walks on his way, but it's at this point that John inserts a very telling phrase in this passage. And we see it at the end of verse 9 where it says, Now that day was the Sabbath. The Sabbath was sacred to the Jews. In fact, the fourth commandment stated that they were to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. It was a day that was to be set aside to honouring God where no one did any work. But in trying to prevent people from, from breaking this commandment, the Jewish, the Jewish religious establishment had put in place 39 other laws around it that stipulated exactly what constituted work. And what they did it, in doing that, they so created this, this massive religious burden on people, and, and they've lost sight of celebrating the good blessings that God had actually instituted the Sabbath for. They become so caught up in, the, in, in following the minutiae of these man-made laws that they lost sight of God's grace and God's glory and God's kindness. Jesus 
saw this man, well, sorry, when the Jews saw this man carrying the mat on the Sabbath, all they could focus on was his breaking of the law. Think about it. Here is this man, he's been in this situation for 48 years. He would have been known by the people around in Jerusalem. He would have been known, you know, because he's been such a, a, a fixture at this school in Bethesda, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And yet, when this man is miraculously healed, when, when all of a sudden his life is completely transformed, all of a sudden he's got this, this new hope, this new joy in his heart because of what's taken place, all these Jewish religious leaders could think about was that he was breaking the law rather than celebrate the grace of the work of the grace of God. They were so caught up. They were so caught up in the minutia of the law that they missed out on the joy of God's grace and goodness. Because what they also did is they turned the grace and the goodness of God into something which was in their eyes was evil. They were inadvertently accusing God of doing a sinful thing. They were accusing Jesus of doing a sinful thing. We'll see in the passage. And folks, we, 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 can't, we can't miss seeing the significance of what is going on here because religious legalism, and folks, this is something which every single one of us, we all have a tendency to revert to in our lives. Religious legalism robs us and others of the joy in our relationship with God. But more than that, it can make us, in fact, opponents of God and cause us to miss the act of grace that He so often works in our lives. One unmistakable sign of a legalistic spirit is the tendency to always be looking for what's wrong in other people's lives in order to judge them instead of looking for what's good in life in order to be Think about that for a moment. Think about your own situation. Think about the people who God brings across your path day by day. So we quickly see that the sin in that person, rather than the the grace of God, perhaps the work of the That person I was telling about earlier, who married the same to Christ, they might actually attended a church service near where they live. Done so on a few occasions, and you know, they did so because they so enjoyed the singing, the, the, the praising of God. It kind of just resonated with their heart and it drew them in. And, and the teaching which they heard from the prophet, it, it drew them in, it drew them closer to Jesus Christ. And so they asked, you know, could, could I please come along to, to a Bible study where I could learn more about Jesus, where I could learn more about this? Is God whom you see to them that you preach about in the pulpit? And then to be told that because they were of another faith, they were not alone. That's 
what did the verse 14 of Jesus mention in the temple? He points out that he says to them, see, see, see you are well. He points out that the physical change that is taking place in his mouth and his heart, but then he tells him to sin no more that nothing worse will happen to him. In other words, Jesus is saying, you know, there is something far worse than being physically sick and incapacitated, and that is to be spiritually sick. But what Paul refers to in Ephesians 2 to being dead in our sins. It's a condition which we are all born born into. And until we realize who Jesus is, until we acknowledge Him as the true Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as we we truly fall on our knees before Him, convicted in our hearts of our sin before our righteousness, and holy God, and as we, we repent of that, as we turn away from that and turn towards God, it's only in that can we find this, this true spiritual healing in Jesus Christ. And for those with eyes of faith to see, we need to see that Jesus' miracle clearly points to the fact that He is indeed God in the flesh. Yes, the paralyzed man in this passage ministry is so good for religious reasons. You know, it's interesting, Jesus says to the man in another passage of Scripture, says, you know, that you search the Scriptures to find salvation, and yet when it stands before you in the person of Jesus, I totally miss it. And we can be people of the world and miss Jesus. Jesus comes to us this morning in His Word, in His Spirit's Word. He reveals Himself afresh to us all here this morning, all who are seated in this auditorium, all who have watched online. Jesus, not Duncan preaching a, a, a message, but Jesus comes to Him, comes to us through His Word this morning, revealing Himself to us again in His power and His glory. And our response must not be one where we leave unmoved in our hearts and in our spirits. But instead, our response should be one where we fall at His feet in worship and in love. Jesus wants us to know the healing and the cleansing for our sins that is found in Him.
Thank you, Father God, because you alone deserve it. It's an honor and pride. 